0: Hello, I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Welcome once again to the Companies and Markets podcast. Um, and this is a very exciting week this week. Uh, we are a matter of hours uh, after Mario Draghi has fired his big bazooka. So, uh, so lots to talk about today. Um, with me are Mark Robinson. Hello, John. Stephen Wilmot. Hello, John. And Graham Davis. Hello, John. So yeah, lots to talk about this week. We'll uh, we'll certainly uh, uh, come into the ECB in a minute. But uh, to kick off, let's um, let's Graham discuss uh, what's been going on in the wider world this week. What uh, what's on the Seven Days pages?
1: Mm, well, we're talking about a, 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 another downgrade, a global sort of uh, downgrade um, from the wor- uh, No, sorry, it was the World Bank. Last week, it was the International Monetary Fund's turn this week to downgrade global growth forecasts for the year. It's all uh, getting a bit, year.
0: bit boring now.
1: It is a bit boring. It's a bit repetitive, really. Um, yeah, they, they, they slashed 0.3% off their forecast for this year and next, dis- okay. despite the shot in the arm from the oil price.
0: Yeah, and China, China had some figures this week. and uh, was there, the- there was a bit of a, a hoo-ha, <laughs> um, but then I looked at those figures and they looked all right to me, seven and a bit percent still.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't sniffer that, should you, really? Not but really. And, and also, the Chinese authorities have been guiding us to this for the... For the for the past year, yeah, um, it, it was just below seven and a half percent, which is what they're after. This is what they call the new normal. Uh, it's it is the lowest annual growth in twenty five years, but seven, as you say, seven point four percent, still not bad.
0: Yeah, and, really. and growth rates do tend to slow. forgive me if I'm wrong, as uh, you know, as economies get bigger, it does yeah. it does come exactly. become a bit harder to maintain the, the growth rates you would have had as a much smaller economy.
1: Precisely, John. So seven seven point four percent of the Chinese economy size it is today, co- it, you know, is comparable to ten percent. Three, mm. three, four years ago, so...
0: In fact, I mean, is it, am I right in thinking China, China is now the biggest economy? Uh, did it overtake America uh, last year, towards the end of last year? I think Japan. it did, on, on
2: certain measures. Oh, that's right, on the purchasing power parity, mm. I think. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, 7.4% on what, by some measures, is the world's gl- largest economy is uh, is not a bad effort, yeah. really. I
1: mean, it, you know, the forecast really is going to slow again this year, maybe around to around 7%, but mm. still not bad
0: not bad at all. Uh, there was there were some uh, reactions on the chinese markets uh, last mm. week as well uh, which you mentioned here uh, what happened there
1: well uh, yeah there's been a, there's been a lot of um, uh, lending uh, ma- lending marginal lending for people to which, and the the chinese markets have seen a huge volume uplift in in the past month or two uh, and the markets themselves have risen sharply and the authorities decided that enough was enough and they they clamped down on the uh, on a, a lot of the lending to people to invest in the market mm. and Shanghai Composite fell 7.7% in the day on Monday. It's pretty sharp.
0: It's bouncing back. Mm. Yeah, it has. It's, you know, it's, it's, again, volat- volatility. This is, um, this
3: is another negative point for metals markets as well. Mm. The fact that uh, Chinese uh, internal lending is being curtailed uh, given the fact that uh,
0: a number of industrial metals uh, are used as collateral, copper in particular. Copper in particular. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but, I mean, we still, we still. I mean, we we talked about this in a podcast many, many months ago. We still kind of like China and uh, and, and and India. I think we talked about it at the time as, yes. uh, as emerging markets. Yeah, we did. Uh, and
1: uh, you know, last, was it last week? We had John Barron uh, espousing the, the the benefits of investing in Chinese um, investment trusts as well. Yeah.
0: Indeed, indeed, and actually, we profile one of the uh, the, the leading Chinese investment trusts this week in uh, in our tips pages. So uh, have yeah. a look at that. Yeah. Okay. Um, meanwhile, uh, the the great and the good are off in Switzerland, mm. having a good time.
1: Yes, having a good time. Sure, up in, <laughs> up there, up there in their Davos uh, so fortress. We're not sending a delegation this year.
0: I uh, I, I I my invites must invite <laughs> must have got lost in the post. Oh dear.
1: <laughs> Yeah. No, we're too busy, John.
0: We are very busy this week. Uh,
1: But yeah, uh, it's a talking shop that, uh, you know, there's a lot of of talk going on over there. I'm not sure what concrete has come out of it, apart from uh, Al Gore and Pharrell Williams have organised some concerts.
0: Have they really? Yes. My wife was getting really cross about Pharrell Williams this morning. She uh she she's she's a very patient person usually, but she started ranting about <laughs> Pharrell Williams and how she wished he would just shut up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, he's got one of the biggest stages around. He's in front of all the world leaders this week. Uh, he's got
0: he's got one of the biggest hats as well, has not yes, he? Yes, indeed. There you go. Uh, We're digressing. Okay. okay, uh Switzerland, um uh it's obviously part of this uh, ECB story. Hmm. We we'll come to that in a minute because Mark, you, you took a look at this in detail, and actually it ties in with this whole margin uh, business we've just discussed in terms of borrowing to uh, or leverage, leveraging up to uh, to trade. Well,
3: well, that's right. I mean, ostensibly the new spotlight this week was going to be about uh, a political risk, but uh, I seem to have gone off on something of a tangent here. But uh, what uh, happened in Switzerland? <laughs> well, that makes it, a change, Mark. <laughs> well, what, what's happened in Switzerland is very interesting from uh, to, from from number of perspectives, really. But if we we have a look at the ECB figures, that was the sort of trigger mechanism, really, for um, the Swiss, the Swiss, Swish. Uh, Swiss, Again. Swiss uh, <coughs> National Bank. Uh, to, yes, how, um, how did they know? How did they know?
1: Oh, I don't know. But how then we knew yesterday
0: know? what was yeah. announced this lunchtime, we did. didn't exactly. we? So, I mean, it's, well, how well, did well, they
3: know? <laughs> well, everyone knew in the, in the weeks leading up to it. Um, and they've abandoned that uh, peg. It must have been under pressure for a long time anyway. But it's costing
0: uh, them a lot of money to, to support that.
3: Well, exactly. Um, they're sort of accumulating sort of euro assets, yeah. really, um, effectively borrowing on their own uh, currency, as it were. And this is unsustainable over the long run, especially when you've got a euro which is uh, depreciating and moving into QE. Now that process is uh, obviously going to gather momentum. So mm. the Swiss have actually d- really just decided to cut their losses there. Uh, unfortunately, there's going to be some uh, major major casualties. Well, there have know. been already. Well, I mean, I, I'm not just talking about the sort of uh, you know the day traders out there, but yeah. uh, Swiss companies themselves will struggle now in export markets.
0: Well, <laughs> indeed, indeed, and in fact, um, so as you would imagine, and uh, I think Steve's going to talk about why this happens in a minute. But uh, I took a look at uh, at uh, some of the market. Um, indices, global market indices this morning, or oh, sorry, uh, this afternoon after the uh, the ECB uh, fired its bazooka. Um, Euro, Euro markets mostly up, as you would expect. Uh, the Swiss market, down and continuing to fall and it fell very sharply after the news last week as well
3: well that that's right all the sort of um, mega watches out there anything coming out of switzerland is going to be that much more expensive and uh, i should imagine uh, it, it'd be good for other sort of nations mm. but uh, some big bills at davos this week one some, would imagine yes indeed indeed no no doubt for that. that. Mm. Uh, and, and of course what happened on the sort of domestic front anyway is that uh, One of our spread betting uh, companies, uh, Alpari, which is actually a a sponsor of uh, West Ham United, a sort of Mm. laggard in the Premier League.
0: Laggard? I think you'll find they're seventh, Mark. Seventh.
3: Seventh. Seventh. They were third at one point. Goodness gracious, who would have thought that Alpari would have uh, kicked the bucket before West Ham itself? Yeah, thanks,
0: thanks, Mark. Well, actually, I I, I will make an admission um, that I do support West Ham. And this is the second shirt sponsor (laughs) they've lost in succession to bankruptcy.
3: Oh, yes. Um, Coincidence? We think not. Yeah. We think not. But of course, what, what, the article, what the article goes on to say here is um, I sort of, um, it, it's a bit of a, a bugbear bear, the industry, and that's the the lack of oversight with regard to, uh,
0: to sort of um, spread betting markets. Well, so, so so what you talk about in the, in the piece is, is the, the ability of private investors to basically leverage up enormously.
3: Well, that's right. And I, and I was really surprised at the multiples myself. I knew they were fairly hefty, but I thought, oh, 10, 15 times. It turns you can get, bet- the average in the UK is between 1 and 200 times. Yeah, I saw Oh, so talk average. of
0: 500 to 1,000 times.
3: 500, So with, uh, sort of initial stake of 1,000 pounds, which is the minimum. Some pundits will be able to go up to half a million uh, wow. in a position. That, that is just absurd. And it's, of course, light-touch regulation. It's one of these uh, industries which has uh, developed very quickly. And you, know, and, you know, if you would have invested in some of the companies that are listed, you'd have done fairly well. Well, indeed,
0: IG does have um, uh, a currency currency. Um, Units uh, and actually that that has been a tip of ours for some time and it has been a, a decent tip has been a very good tip they had results this week they got hit too obviously by the uh, the fallout from the Swiss franc debacle but uh, the results were okay
2: well the results were pretty good um I mean, apart from this um I mean basically they've 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 been suffering from a lack of liquidity in the markets and I'm uh, sorry a lack of volatility in the markets yeah and of course towards the end of last year and certainly this month volatility has been quite high. Um, so the outlook for their underlying business has been improving. But, of course, then they were really hit by this one-off piece of volatility. And um, so, yeah, apart from that, it was good. But we decided to exit the tip nonetheless because, um, well, the, the 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 rating is really quite high. I mean, they're trading on 19 times forecast earnings, which, given that threat of high regulation, seems mm. a
0: bit... So we're worried that basically the regulators are going to have a look at this and go, actually something needs to be done about this. Well, you'd this
3: think is... so. They've, they've got their hands sort of busy at the moment just trying to reform the, the banking sector, and I you know, I suspect that's probably the reason why this has been allowed to go on as long as it has. Yeah. I mean, there's tremendous sort of um, counterparty risk here as well. Uh, I mean, the, the trouble was, I think, with some of uh, Alpari's clients is uh, that Alpari actually just couldn't sell on the pairs into the markets in the immediate aftermath of the decision. So, you know, you, you, you had... Total lack of liquidity at one point, and yet these sort of uh, paper losses sort of mounting well not paper losses these actual losses mounting and mounting that they couldn't meet in, mm. they couldn't meet on the obligations at the end i uh, I mean and, and when you look at it globally as well, the expo, it, it just shows how sort of connected we are uh, within the global economy because there was uh, firms in uh, New Zealand Australia uh, in the Far east all of the, all affected to uh, varying degrees and I think you pointed out as well the Eastern European banking sector.
0: Did I point that out?
3: Well, you think you'd be uh, wrong. No, I was,
0: I was talking about. Uh, yes, they, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. So I'd forgotten about that. It's uh, Polish mortgage lending. Exactly. Uh, uh, a, lot of we, a lot of which is done in, in Swiss francs.
3: And you've got to ask yourself the question then okay, if, if Polish banks get into trouble on the road, yeah. and hung, Hungarian banks as well. So if these Eastern European banks get in, into trouble as a result of this, Who's uh, who's effectively in in to them? Mm, mm. You know, the, 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 we it's one of these situations where ripples spread out, and we're never quite sure exactly what the end result's going to be.
0: Okay, well, um, you know, at least though, the ECB is here to save the day. So, thank per- goodness. Per- perhaps now is a good time to uh, start having a little little chat about what's happened today because it's it's big news. I mean, yeah, we knew stuff was coming, but. 60 billion it's
2: six euros. Months, six, six months ago, it's hard to imagine this um, would have happened, isn't yes, it? Yes, I mean, pe- yes. People were sort of mired in the assumption that actually they never would manage to get the political consensus necessary. But then... Well, now, we'll, I'm not, I'm not let's sure... Let's talk now. about what
0: has happened. <coughs> so the, the announcement yep. was 60 billion euros a month for at least 18 months.
2: For at least 18 months. So it's an expansion
0: yep. of the balance sheets by roughly a trillion euros, buying government bonds as well as the other assets that he had already committed to purchase at mortgage-backed securities amongst yeah. them um, which is roughly, I think probably around a third uh, again in the size of its balance sheet as it, as it currently stands today. So yep. it's a big increase. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: there's no, no doubt about it at all. I mean, the, the interesting thing about this, I mean you mentioned political
2: consensus but I'm not quite sure that we have total... No, no, clear we don't have political consensus but that was the turning point in a way. It was when Draghi started saying, well we don't need Complete com- political consensus to, to actually do do this. I, 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 uh, I like Merkel's Merkel's year.
0: reaction, which was that this was an independent decision by the <laughs> ECB. It was very nicely phrased.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they are an independent central bank, after all. And, and Graham,
3: you mentioned uh, some of the provisions uh, under the agreement as well,
1: uh, in terms of sharing sharing of the risk. Exactly. Yes, indeed. No, they, uh, they, the, the 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 central banks of of the countries uh, of the EU are going to have to wear quite a lot of the risk here. I think there's only about um, uh, risk sharing across the board is, is only on about 20 percent of the assets the, um, the, the, the The central banks or the companies themselves, should that company uh, should that country default or, or restructure are going to have to uh, you know, the central banks going to have to take on the risk for eighty percent of the uh, of the assets.
0: And I guess this is a concession to, to Germany indeed. and its con- and its concerns over some of the weaker members of, yes, of the EU. And not
2: wanting to incentivize. Kind of uh, reckless borrowing on part on her part of governments in Southern Europe, especially. as if that would happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and I see there's the, some comments already coming out of the German uh, banking, uh, the, the German Bankers Association, in in fact, who've said that uh, the effects of, of of this round of QE will be marginal, apparently, according to them, um, but will notice, noticeably increase the risk of asset price bubbles, uh, mistaken risk assessments, and misdirected investment. So clearly, they're not very impressed. Now, you, well, which, actually, which you, you mentioned. you mentioned i'm
0: going to leave the uh the german pronunciation to you this week Graham, because you you mentioned right. that someone uh, a member of um the opposite op- an opposing party in germany has mounted a legal challenge already indeed to, to uh, what's his name Graham? A
1: conservative m p in in germany and i've taken i've taken the lead from stephen on this <laughs> uh, peter Gauweiler.
0: very good um, has
1: already instructed um, a, a law professor to prepare a case uh, to take to court against uh, this this round of QE. Right. So clearly, you know there isn't consensus there. But uh,
0: and obviously we've got the Greek election uh, this mm. weekend, which could throw some f- f- the cats among the pigeons.
1: Yeah, it's just the whole the political risk I- isn't going away at all. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, the um, the Greek uh, left wing coalition. Uh, uh, sort of moved further ahead in the polls as well so I mean we're, we're looking at uh, uh, well I, I doubt very much we'll come to the nuclear option over there but there's there's going to be some horse trading going on mm-hmm.
0: mm. and yeah, Graham you mentioned that there are um, concerns that actually this isn't even going to work anyway in terms of you know re- reigniting growth in Europe. This is something you, you mentioned just before we came uh, yeah, well, on, I mean, to, I, on to record
2: I, I guess the, um, the point here is that um, although it's become something of a truism that QE is good for asset prices and and equities included Um, it's not it's still not entirely clear what the you know how how quantifiable that is I mean people trace charts showing the S&P against the Fed balance sheet and it's true there looks like there's quite a strong correlation but it's not entirely obvious why that should be i mean so of course there's, you, 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 there's
0: no proof of cause and effects but yeah
2: exactly i mean you you can is 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 it because they're printing money or is it because actually productivity growth well, has well, been the, pretty the, good well the mm-hmm. point point uh, is
3: that there was there was never actually much in the way of printing money when uh, with the qe in the us and uk all it meant is that banks were internally internally sort of um, building up their balance sheets this money was never made its way
0: out into the real economy and that that's the difference but we have seen economic recovery nonetheless and we've seen stock market mm-hmm. recovery. And, well and, yes
3: but the, the money supply itself d- didn't expand
2: appreciably under
3: under qE mm.
0: and so, so, so really it bailed out banks and did nothing else
2: pretty much it yeah. no, that, that's certainly one argument and, and and you know that's i guess what these german critics are are getting at it, it raises the risk of asset price bubbles without having without obviously you know having a provable effect should we say on the on the underlying economy but but mm. you no know, nonetheless
1: i mean is 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 the eu closer to japan here in it than, than the UK and the US in terms of the the, the what clearly
2: what there's there's more of a defa- deflationary problem exactly deflation wasn't
1: an issue in in the US and the UK when they launched their QE no, exactly, and this is six, exactly. six, six, five, six yeah. years ago as well
2: no, it's 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 a very good point uh, we are they are being launched at quite different times in the in the cycle but at the same time that the effect of of QE on, on inflation is not exactly obvious either no. um, I mean it it w- there was quite high inflation you know a few years ago back in the in the UK but that was mm. more to do with commodity prices than anything else. I mean no one the the stated intention of QE in the UK at the beginning was to increase inflation but then people sort of forgot all about that because it never seemed to have any effect on yeah. inflation. And where
1: where are we now?
3: Well, I think I think it it just highlights the fact that what's needed in Europe rather than thinking around the margins is structural reform of certain economies.
2: And that's taking without, the Teutonic view. Uh. <laughs> well,
3: there, there's no doubt about it at all. I mean, you know, try and start up a small business in uh, France or Italy, and you'll see the difference to, to say here in the UK. I mean, mm. that's one reason why we've at, at least managed to get our sort of labour markets moving a little bit.
0: Well, indeed, and in, you know, in Japan, it, you know, it's it's more than likely going to be uh, uh, Prime Minister Abe's third arrow, which is the structural reform that will get that economy motoring, rather than rather does, than the, yeah. the onga- if it does, rather than the uh, the ongoing money printing. Mm-hmm. Money printing, QE, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, there was a great letter in the FT today, today or yesterday. Certainly, you can find it on its on the website at the moment. Go and hunt it down. It's fantastic. It's it's one of the best things I've read. And yeah, it's highly critical that this was something that was intended to save the banks, and it's just become some kind of prop to. He calls them egregious gamblers who uh, who are betting on you know ever rising asset prices. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a
2: sentimental thing, isn't it? I mean, it's people people sort of build up the narrative that it has an effect on asset prices, and then that becomes a self fulfilling. Prophecy, so, uh, but that you know, that, as I as I as I said, it, it seems to have become something of a truism that does have an effect on asset prices. So, uh, clearly, it has an effect on bond prices. Now, that's the most obvious thing because they're actually buying bonds. But yeah. the other asset prices, it's sort of an inferred effect. And is it just sentiment or is it underlying? What you know? Well, we talked about this. What's the difference between the two? <laughs> we
0: talked about this already um, before we started recording. And so, so you know, I'm, you could, if you wanted to try and um, build a logical, um, you know, cause and effect. The euro has become cheaper, mm-hmm. or the euro has become cheaper since uh, April. Very much so. You know, in April, May it was tra- trading at sort of one one thirty-five against the dollar. It's now one fifteen. Mm. Um, so you know, that's a very big shift. That's true. So uh, that so makes that makes life easier for export companies. Makes makes life easier for for European exporters, but it also makes European assets that much cheaper to foreign buyers. Mm-hmm. So you could argue then that a U.S. investor may look to europe because there is a currency gain to be mm-hmm. had there and there's, and, and
2: there's debt that cheapens debt so property buyers for example will find it easier to finance loans mm. so that yeah yeah there, there there are there are effects um and, and
3: nigel farage is more likely to get a, um, a swiss national moving next door to him than uh, the current romanians
0: he <laughs> will be delighted <laughs> i'll be absolutely <laughs> delighted okay um in the magazine this week, we also have uh, some uh, some interesting pieces. You uh, had a chat with one of our new writers today, uh, Mark, uh, Alex Newman, who's done a, a, a sector focus on, on football as yes,
3: an Yes, that, that seemed like a nice sector to ease Alex in. And it's, um, I, I remember, you'll remember as well, John, when, when we had a spate of sort of IPOs uh, following the creation of the, the Premier League. Mm. And there was a great deal of excitement there. And uh, lots of column inches in the financial press. But I don't think really anyone was, was looking then and thinking this is going to be a good long-term investment. No. No. And There's uh, certainly
0: been some asset price inflation there on the player front.
3: Indeed. Uh, I think uh, players get amortised after a while. Don't, I've no right? idea
0: how the, the accounts of football clubs work. I think uh, that's right. I thought generally they didn't.
2: You'd expect if there has been an inflation in the price of players, that ought to be have been good because they have them on their books. It's right? They have to buy them. Yeah, Very few it? clubs
0: will grow the, those players from... From from a young. And this seems buyer. to have been the,
2: uh, the, 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 I the think the successful in... strategy of of Dortmund, Borussia, Borussia, which Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund. Don't watch sorry. much football. <laughs> <laughs> I, I confess, <laughs> I'm not a football follower. Um,
0: but you could probably pronounce it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I was
2: discussing with Mark yesterday, it's one of the few um, remaining references to Prussia. Um, oh, true. Because it's the Latin word for Prussia. I see. Think. Wow. And, um, there, are, there are very few references to the formerly great European estate of Prussia for obvious historical reasons in, uh, in, in Europe today. And the only one, uh, in fact, seems to be this football club.
0: Well, wow, this this podcast gets ever more <laughs> educational <laughs> by the minute. Um, anyway, so no, Borussia, Borussia Dortmund, however you pronounce it,
2: uh, has been one of the few
0: clubs well, that's actually, done really well as an investment.
3: Yeah, Alex has uh, handily provided us with a table here of the, the returns there. And I, I think they're, they're, it's 200 odd percent over the last uh, five, five, years? five years or Amazing. so. But uh, Celtic are up there as well. That's not a, a bad little uh, return on your capital there.
0: There's only one team in that league now, isn't there? After the collapse well, of Rangers, well, I know. don't know,
3: a- Aberdeen, are top of the pile. At oh, Aberdeen. Aberdeen, which, which is the...
0: Mark, where you've been spending? Yes, that's another time story. Right, I'll uh,
3: we'll, we'll assail the uh, our readership with that uh, another date.
0: Well, let's I mean, let's pro- give them a clue. You've been up in Aberdeen in the last uh, yesterday, well, whilst, yeah. whilst whilst we were all busily making the magazine. That's or, right. I, uh, I, I've yeah. gone up
3: there to see an oil services company, and it was. Uh, it seemed uh, highly appropriate with oil at $45 a barrel. Yeah. But, um, Plexus,
0: was it? Plexus, yeah. And you've done a video for us. That's
3: right. That'll be coming up. Uh, I know a lot of our readers have been interested in the company, and if they'd have taken our initial uh, buy advice, that did very well we seem to have got out on the top there as well but we we're still very uh, we're still sort of very positive on Plex's long term prospects they the company produces uh, proprietary wellhead technology which has sort of benefits both in terms of safety but in cost as well yep. and uh, as i mentioned to uh, Stephen earlier in the day uh, the, the one sector that, that is slowest in the take up of new technology is the oil and gas sector strangely enough um, the opposite end of the scale, of course, is software, you know, the, the innovation there almost overnight. Mm. But it takes a long time to turn around attitudes and oil and gas markets. It's like a sort of super tanker itself. But if you do, presumably then you're in. You're in. That's it. That's it. Um, but but anyway, the, we, we shall save this one for a, a, another, another issue.
0: And there and there also is a fantastic example of your ability to to to. Go off on an amazing tangent because about yes. three minutes ago we were talking about football.
3: Well, I think three <laughs> minutes ago we were talking about Prussia.
0: Oh yes, we were. We were. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so let's let's go back to football because um, I like football. But what did we conclude from this? Is it something worth investing in? You know, can Borussia Dortmund? I think, as as you pointed out, their their business model has been to grow, grow players play, grow from talent. from youth and and essentially sell them on when they.
2: A bit like a property be, company. Yeah. Oh, Nice, grow the, you nice grow the, analogy. The, grow the rents. See the value increase, sell it on. Yeah. Well, unfortunately,
3: as Alex points out in the article, the underlying pressure for clubs is when when they do make money, if a club does well and, say, goes well in the Champions League and suddenly they've got a windfall of £80 million or €80 million, then of course the pressures on just to go out and buy new players it's like a, a
2: shareholder returns aren't top of the uh,
3: not at top of the agenda no and uh, you know conversely if you've got clubs that have a, a well a, a dwindling number of clubs that are actually feeder clubs producing players themselves the the temptation is it's just to sell uh, sell players yeah. on yeah i, I mean, mean you look at west ham I,
0: indeed i was i was about to mention that that very same thing so west ham um, have over the years produced many many fantastic players through their youth system Uh, The likes of Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard. Clive Best, Billy Bonds. Billy Bonds. uh, Going back a bit there. Um, You know, Joe Cole. All of them have been sold on. Yep. Um, And West Ham has never really gone anywhere. uh, Fitting between the... It's, the, a, it's a broken the second model. Second and first tier.
3: It's a broken. It's a broken investment model the way it stands at the moment. But the only thing I would say is that when you look at uh, American sport in the 1970s, um, pretty much the same stage as we are now, where you had individuals, high net worth individuals, buying into these clubs or franchises, or and turning them into franchises in some case. But now there there are companies in America that do very well out of backing a sports or sports entertainment. Uh, more accurately right and perhaps who knows you know 15 20 years down the down the line perhaps uh, football will actually become uh, viable from an investment angle
0: it's I, I would imagine it's about the scale of the audience that, that these sports have yeah um, so if you can internationalize something like football like soccer or whatever you want to call it um, you know if you can take that from a UK only audience to an audience a global audience it becomes much more viable as a as a business. Well, that's it. but
3: you, you look at you look at uh, Manu for instance, it's got a New York listing, and I would say, I mean, this is a contentious point, but I'd say it's probably the best known brand name in the world in terms of association football.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's not the uh, so Deloitte actually published their Money League uh, today. They they publish uh, a- annually a list of the the most valuable clubs. Manu is Man second actually, five hundred eighteen million Be- euros behind so Real Madrid.
3: Oh yeah, but imagine doing Real Madrid's books. <laughs> I mean goodness gracious me. Take a look at the notes there. Mm, mm. A- anyway, I mean I'm sure our readership th- themselves will know that it's it's not really uh, uppermost in our minds as far as an investment uh, investment option at the moment.
0: No, but what, what Alex does talk about which is quite interesting. There are some there are some businesses on the fringe of football that that you can so you can play in a slightly different way. Yeah, um,
2: goal soccer center has always been a favorite Well, I yeah, I'm not sure it's on a buy at the moment, but it's it's been a favourite stock. It's a stock we've followed for a long time, and it has a um, I mean, it's like a retailer. It, this is a it's a company that um, uh, develops and then uh, five side football five side football pitches, aside football pitches yep. and then you know it owns the assets and and, it, uh, it, and, it's and actually, it has a very successful franchise. It tracks punters with you know events and
0: and it's internationalising as well, which I think is.
3: It's, yeah, so so it's, it's going over to the US. The point yeah, is, US it, it, it's exactly. growing
2: on the back of the growth
3: of uh, football in the US. Yep. It, the USA did very well in the last World Cup. The women's team has always done well, and uh, you know, there's lots of soccer moms over in the states who want their kids to play yeah. that rather than get mashed in uh, American football.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, lots of uh, lots of um, uh, English players go over to to the or. Premier League players go over to, uh, to the well, US G- Leagues George well. Best
3: went over many years ago
0: Yeah, that, that, that never really worked out, out though did it I mean, back back then Franz Beckenbauer played in the US Bobby Moore Bob, Bob, did he Bobby Moore play in the US Bobby
3: Moore uh, Pelé Pelé uh, played in,
0: in, in the US yeah absolutely but it never really happened that time but it is this time so yes. you know it, I mean, it oh, seems Major League Soccer seems to be
3: th- this is organic growth in the US now what we're seeing rather yeah. than something something that's being foisted upon them ok, mm, there okay. You
0: very interesting wow football investment yeah who never thought it <laughs> is if we needed
2: to turn this in more into a pub uh, pub table discussion i've enjoyed this
0: bit this has been great <laughs> okay um so moving on quickly to something you've written this week Stephen, uh in your taking stock column uh it's about uh, ipos and you know after the the flurry of ipos we've had for the last couple of years there, there was a bit of a hiatus uh, uh towards the end of last year but but you know there's there's some prospects in sight
2: yeah the um the investment bankers kept on talking about a year of two halves last year. When the first half was very lively, and then it sort of fell off a cliff. Um, but it, they're, but they're coming back, and we've had news of three reasonably sized flotations with, crucially, a retail element. So private shareholders can, through their stockbrokers, invest in these companies. One one has since fallen through, actually. So Trainline Investments um, was the, which which uh, runs the Trainline dot com. Um, Website mm. for buying train tickets. Um, that's that's been um, bought by another buyer, so it won't be IPOing. Okay. But then um, we have HSS and John Lang.
0: HSS being tool um, hire.
2: Yeah, tool hire. Yep. So they're basically two support services companies, uh, and John Lang is infrastructure. Um, though it has a lot of other different kind of interests. But anyway, we'll I'll be exploring those in the uh, in the magazine. Um, but I, I guess I, I was sort of taking that um, prompt to um look at the 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 the, long, the the track record of ipos and and um th- there's always a a very useful um bit of research which comes out at this time of year um by elroy dimson and paul marsh at the, uh, the london business school um for the numerous smaller companies index so um they've they've been doing this for for i think over 25 years they've been crunching the numbers on um smaller companies and they 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 always come out with very interesting results Um, and they found, and this, this is no real surprise to people who follow the kind of academic research on IPOs, but they found that since 1987, they've bounced or popped by 8% on their first day of trading. But after that first day, they've gone on to lose 9% of the next two years. Um, that's relative to the market, so not in absolute terms. They might not have lost you money, but they would have lost you money relative to the market. Um, and, um, and and that that's an, uh, that's a pattern that's observed in many markets all over the world, and and I mean the simple reason is that companies, that sellers know better than buyers when when to sell. Uh, so you know, these these companies are privately held, and, and they often know, they're held they're, by
0: private equity, either private equity companies well.
2: or, or founding families. I mean, think yeah. of Glencore; it's not just private equity that knows when to sell. Um, but these, the, but the sellers. The crucial point is that the sellers. Keep it private and they know when to sell much better than the buyers know when to buy. Mm. And they, they you know, they they can time it to w- when the store is it's, fu- its it's fullest. I mean um or when, when the store is most attractive basically. And so it, also they can window dress um so that they can stop hiring for a couple of years before cut costs a bit so that the numbers are flattered and often what you find after companies IPOs that they suddenly start taking on costs, say, Oh, we need to invest uh and um actually the the profit numbers don't end up being as the growth doesn't end up being Mm. as quite as strong as one one had previously assumed it would be so so yeah there's this pattern of underperformance and and, uh, but the the interesting thing was that, that that begs the question so after two years should you you know when people have realized that actually this is a bit of a dud and they've all sold out you know that is that is that a buying opportunity and they found no it wasn't actually that basically the longer you wait the better the investment becomes so they crunched through the numbers since 1980 and found that if a company had IPO'd in as recently you know, th- in three three years ago or, or one or two or three years ago then it turned one pound into eight pounds uh, so if you only invested in those companies that were sort of reasonably new and then if, if you invested only in companies with four to seven years track record on the on the public market then you'd have ended up with 18 pounds which doesn't sound bad but you know, let's not forget these are pretty good years for the market. If you invested in companies which had been around for longer than eight years, then from eight to twenty years, it was you got seventy-five times your investment back, and more than twenty years, so effectively companies had been around forever, you 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 would have multiplied your investment by one hundred and six times. So. So basically, yeah, age is a better investment than youth. Mm.
3: I think, Stephen, you mentioned as well that dynamic. Uh, at least in the the old part of that dynamic, doesn't it apply to uh, privatisations? Though,
2: no, privatisations are a bit, uh, are an exception. I mean, obviously, a lot of people will think of Royal Mail, and um, you know, which was such a you know, even now after a very bad year on the stock market, it's um, it's trading above its flotation price. But, but there was a lot of. But, but but the point
0: speculation that it had been deliberately underpriced.
2: But but yeah, but the point is that governments, unlike any other seller, have an incentive to flog it cheap because they want to win votes. They don't want to make money.
0: Absolutely. Um, okay. I mean, there's certainly lots of evidence from from the last year or so that would would support this this theory. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. um, so you know, I'm just thinking of a couple that have, have crossed my radar today, countrywide. Pretty, Countrywide, yes, actually that poor.
2: that that had a very strong first year on the market and then has been underperforming. But I mean, yeah, mm. if we think actually, you know, the, the back to the beginning of last year, um, when I, you know, which was really when people were talking about a return to two thousand six seven levels of IPO activity, you know that 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 mm. pro- that proved to be a good time to sell, didn't it?
0: Absolutely. Another one I can think of: um, Game Digital. Mm. <laughs> Let's not go there again, eh? Uh, okay, thanks, Stephen. I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, and um, yeah, I, uh, so I the point certainly...
2: Is, the point is not to avoid all IPOs, but basically you have to be ultra-sceptical, even more sceptical than you are when you look at more established stocks.
0: Yeah. I Well, I just I just don't understand why you would chase something that doesn't have uh, a track record. I mm. really don't understand yeah. it. Um, I never understood, actually, why um, there was so much interest in Ocado when that floated, the, uh, the online grocer. Let but, it go, you, John. I, I, well, I won't let it go. I'm, I'm still not convinced about that company. Um, but there you go. And I certainly wasn't convinced about Game Digital when it came back. So uh, anyway, thank you very much, Stephen. Um, okay, so uh, what else have we got in the magazine this week? Um, we have uh, the cover feature, and, and this has been written by uh, Philip Ryland, CFA Journalist of the Year, um, and uh, also the Investors Chronicle, as you will read in this week's magazine, was annou- uh, was Declared the CFA publication of the year too, so we've had an award-winning week. Um, but anyway, so this feature, uh, we had a lot of letters from a, from readers saying, "Hey, you tell us, you know, what to buy. You give us lots of tips. You were you were suggesting things that we can put in our portfolios. How do we sell them?" And so Philip, who who is our, our resident uh, investment guru, went away, and he's he's actually put together uh, a guide as to, to how you actually approach the art of selling. And there are many conflicting views on this. Um, you know, someone like Warren Buffett, for example, says the, uh, the, uh, the best time to sell is never. Okay, you know, it's yeah. His favourite holding period is forever. Whereas um, someone like Ben Graham has a very rigid selling system. Philip has hopefully answered this question. Uh, and I'm not going to give you that answer now because uh, obviously it's the cover feature. But uh, yeah, I hope, uh, you know, I hope that, that answers the, the reader's questions about selling. Um, very important to get to grips with when to take your profits. But there
3: is a clue, given the analogy with gardening.
0: Is there a clue? Well, I think so. Oh, maybe there is.
3: Well, the, the, it's entitled Prune for Profit.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's just suggesting that if you prune something, it, it grows stronger. Uh, and, and actually, Peter Lynch, a famous fund manager, he said, basically, you know, get rid of the weeds to make room for the flowers. It's, it's kind of that analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, And it's also about having things that, that grow the right way. Um, okay. That uh, is the cover feature. Uh, we've got another feature from uh, from Daniel Liberto on uh, the increasing trend towards uh, onshoring. This is the uh, the practice of uh, companies that had previously um, located parts of their business, like manufacturing and customer services, uh, overseas, to, to access cheaper labour, um, bringing them back to their home country, whether that be the UK or the US. To generate some competitive advantage that way as uh, as the labour cost differential evaporates. In the personal finance and funds section, we've got some interesting stuff. Um, Kate Bioli, who's uh, another one of our newer writers, uh, has written something on exchange-traded commodities. Mark, you may want to have a read of that. You might teach something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Fear Kate. Yes, absolutely. Um, Kate wrote something on uh, oil last week, which you were also yeah, so jealous I'm, of. I was uh,
3: quite impressed with that. Indeed. But, uh, yeah.
0: Also, um, it's that time of year where divorce rates rise, and um, so uh, if you're in that unfortunate position, we've uh, we've guys are doing it on a, on a, on a budget in the magazine. <laughs> So, yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those realities of life that unfortunately we can't escape from uh, and which we, uh, we often cover in our personal finance section. Um, so uh, thank you, everybody, uh, for this week's discussion. Lots of interesting stuff there and lots of tangents explored. A cover feature this week, Prune for Profit Selling Strategies, so uh, available in all good news agents for uh, £4.50. And we'll, uh, we'll meet again next week. Thank you very much.